Such a great blessing to be together tonight as the people of God and those interested in spiritual things. We have some visitors again tonight, and we're always thankful for our visitors, those who have an interest in spiritual things and want to encourage us as we're honoring the God of heaven and trying to glorify Him. And join with us in looking into God's Word together tonight. We invite you to open your Bibles with us. We'll be looking in the book of Colossians mainly this evening, chapter 1, if you'd like to go ahead and open there. Before we get into the lesson, I would like to make mention again that uh, next quarter, which starts, um, what, a week, two weeks from today, two weeks from today, next quarter starts, um, we'll continue in most all of the classes uh, with the Bible narrative going through our program of going through the Bible, but one class will be a a little different. We're we're going to break off and have um, a class for young couples who are perhaps thinking about marriage, are married, have been married a little while, have little kids running around, have bigger kids running around. So if you're a couple, uh, you'd be welcome to come into that class. If you're a single person who is thinking about maybe you'd like that to do that sometime, then you're also probably welcome in there. But it's particularly for young couples, and we encourage young couples to come in to this class, which will be about uh, things related to marriage, uh, family, and some about parenting. We'll be meeting in what is now the ladies' class. I'm resisting the temptation to call it, uh, in the future, the old ladies' class, uh, but <laughs> because the, the ladies will have a new ladies' class to meet in, but as the case may be. Uh, just wanted everybody to know about that. And if you have uh, uh, an idea that you'd like to come into that class, you might let maybe uh, Tim Richter or one of the elders know so we can get an idea of how many we're looking at coming in that class. Well, we all feel uh, an acute need for strength at times, don't we? Uh, Have you ever been in a situation where you just weren't strong enough to do something? Probably today for most of us, uh, whether it was opening a pickle jar or lifting something up that was a little bit too heavy for us. I just tell you, I had an interesting experience, and uh, Caleb Boyd can tell you the other side of this story. But uh, there was a a, a trash can that was filled with a lot of uh, leftover pieces of mortar and uh, other stuff that had been, you know, put in the trash can as a result of tearing down some uh, brick steps. And uh, I tried to move that uh, day before yesterday, and I couldn't budget an inch. I mean, and then finally by pulling and straining and grunting and groaning, I got it to go about three feet, and that was it. I never felt so weak in all my life, but I'm, not, I'm saying, I'm telling people that the thing weighed over 1,000 pounds. I'm not sure it wasn't weighed but it just had to weigh over 1,000 pounds because I, I couldn't budget. You have this, this, these experiences in your life, and whether you're lifting weights or you think about strength to run a race if you're a young person or what, whatever it might be uh, to lift a grandchild, uh, those who are more my age, you can relate to that. There comes a point when you can't lift them anymore, either because of you or them and their weight, but there comes a point. And we can all relate to those kinds of experiences. I hope you see pretty directly the metaphor to our spiritual lives. Because there are often things that we come across that we can't lift, that we can't budge, that we can't take apart or put together because we ourselves don't have the strength. One of the great things that Christians come to understand in their walk with the Lord is to really walk with him, you have to admit that you don't have the strength. 
Because you'll never be what you ought to be until you know that you don't have the strength to do it yourself. And I'll just tell you, when I was a young person, uh, just, just out of college, I had this idea in my head that I was going to do what I was going to do uh, for the Lord because I was just going to grip my teeth and do it. And it didn't matter what came my way, I was going to get it done. And it didn't matter how hard it might seem or to be, whereas I was just going to grip my teeth and do it. And it didn't take me very long, though, thankfully, longer than it should have, <laughs> to figure out that's not how it works. That's not how it works. We have to come to a point when we recognize our weaknesses and how weak and frail we really are. The psalmist says in Psalm 73 and verse 26, My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There will come a time in your walk with God, maybe many times, when you recognize that your flesh is going to fail you. Your heart is not going to be strong like you want it to be, like you wished it were. But God is the strength of your heart. God is your portion forever. A preacher was walking down a country road some time back, and he came across a, a young farmer, really just a teenage boy, and the boy had a cart that had had a big load of hay on it, but he had somehow fallen off the cart. And the boy was frantically trying to get the hay back onto the cart. He was working, it was feverishly, it was hot. He was sweating, he was tired, he, he just was not going to be able to get all this hay back onto the cart in a very quick manner anyway. And so the preacher sees this and he says, son, what, what, why are you working so hard? Why don't you take a break? Why don't you just take a break, get a drink of water, come over here and rest a little bit, and then I'll help you get, get this hay back on your cart. And the young man said, no, no, my father wouldn't like that. My father wouldn't like that. And the preacher said, oh, you're, I'm sure your father wouldn't mind. He doesn't realize how tired you are. He wouldn't mind you taking a little break here and, and uh, get, getting your wind back. And the boy said, no, he's not going to like it. And the preacher said, I can't believe your father would be so hard-hearted. Surely that's not the case. He said, and if it is, you, you tell me his name, and I'm going to go have a talk with him. Where is your father? And the boy said, he's under the hay. <laughs> so... We find in life a lot of times, you know, we're not having the strength to do something and somebody comes along to help, but they're not really being helpful at all, right? And they, they could help if they would really pitch in and do that, but they're really not being helpful at all. Let me tell you what. What did the text say in the psalm? God is my strength and my portion forever. And in Psalm 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Not just to stand there and talk to you, not just to say, yeah, I could help you if you want to take a rest, but to actually help you. That's what we have. That's what we have in God. And I'm hoping in tonight's lesson that we can come to that realization and that as a result of realizing his strength and our weakness, we will be stronger because we are in need of strength as we just sang in the beautiful song that York led. In need of mercy raining down from high above, in need of strength, in need of peace, in need of things that 
only you can give to me. Only God can enable us to be what we ought to be. And it is by his grace that we can find the strength to do the things that we must do to serve him, to please him, and to live for him. And so tonight, let's think about our need for strength. The Colossians surely needed strength. I know you're open there in your Bibles now. And I think the book of Colossians is a fascinating letter. It's got a lot of practical stuff in it. But if you just study it for itself, you would probably consider it to be more doctrinal than practical, as uh, Paul talks about Christ being all in all, and uh, just that's focused on Christ. But we'll find that our need of strength also is focused on Christ and answered in Christ. But when you read the first few verses of Colossians, it's not immediately apparent that the Colossians need strength. In fact, you would, you would say, if you just kind of finished reading verses 3 through 8, and I'm going to read them here and see what you think, uh, did, you know, did the Colossians seem to have a lot of problems? Was there a lot of weakness? Were there a lot of shortcomings among, among the Colossians? Listen to this. Verse 3 of of chapter 1. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you, also learn, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. You just don't see much in those statements and that prayer of thanks that Paul is offering for the Colossians. You don't see much that you'd call weakness. There are three great things, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Faith, hope, 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Colossians had all three of them. Did you see that? Did you notice the words? He says, we heard of your faith in verse 4 and of your love because of the hope that is laid up for you. Faith, hope, love. The greatest things. They had the greatest things. What else are you going to need? You got the greatest things. And and he, he repeatedly talks about their faith and the fact that they were bearing fruit through the gospel, again, fruitful in their experience in the Lord. So what's the problem? Are they in need of strength? Uh, Paul, Paul thinks they are. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4, let's just notice a couple of things on in the letter. This I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. He's concerned that they have spiritual strength and not be deceived with persuasive words, which is so common among the people of God even today. In verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. The Colossians were so strong, but doctrinally they were vulnerable. Doctrinally, they were vulnerable. Because Paul is very concerned that somebody 
with a worldly mindset, following the rudimentary principles of the world, what's popular in the world today could lead them astray. And somebody might cheat them of their reward by swapping philosophy with truth. The Colossians were in need of strength. If you didn't know anything was wrong at Colossae, you wouldn't know anything was wrong at Colossae. (laughs) But Paul knew. Paul knew where their weakness was. And I think it didn't stop there. Because when you get into chapter 3, this very positive and wonderful, uplifting, challenging section of Scripture, you realize, if you just kind of read between the lines a little bit, that they all, like we all, are from time to time struggling with going back into the world and with doing things our old man would do and not staying true to the new man. And Paul is very concerned about that as he writes to them in Colossians chapter 3. And he says, you know, if, verse 1, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Maybe their spiritual focus was not what it should be. Is he challenging them here? For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members that are on the earth. Why does he have to tell them that if they weren't having a problem with their members on the earth? Things like sexual immorality and fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. These are things the Colossians needed to make sure that they were putting away and by implication things perhaps that they were susceptible to in their lives, temptations that they faced that also, by the way, are temptations that you and I face. And we need strength to overcome them as the Colossians did. And Paul says, verse 8, But now you yourselves are to put all these off, anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth, and do not lie to one another, since you put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You put off that old man, you put on the new man, you better make sure you're not doing old man stuff. But all of us know, don't we, that these are temptations we all face. And sometimes and many times we're in need of strength to overcome these trials and temptations. What, what Paul does in Colossians chapter 1 is he tells the Colossians about his unceasing prayer for them. We are here at Eastside a house of prayer if we are what God wants us to be. It's what we're striving to be in our theme this year. I want you to go back now to Colossians chapter 1 and notice with me starting in verse 9 we'll pick up there. For this reason we also since the day we heard it Do not cease to pray for you. So Paul is unceasingly praying for the Colossians, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. 
You can break down this portion of that prayer, I think, into three sections. First of all, he's praying that the Colossians would be filled with knowledge and wisdom. How do you get knowledge? A lot of people must think that you get it by sleeping near their bookcase or something. Uh, I think maybe some of my students at school might think they get it by sleeping on top of their Bible, perhaps. I'm not sure. But that's not how you get knowledge. It comes from study, reading, listening to sermons, contemplating, meditating, going over it in your mind, remembering it. Knowledge comes through a process that requires your diligence. He's praying for their knowledge. Of course, God is the one who enables knowledge because he's the source of it. He's given us the opportunity to find knowledge in his word. His words give knowledge and wisdom, as we saw this morning. So he's praying for their knowledge, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Uh, Are you strong enough in your knowledge? Colossians weren't. Not yet. They still had some ways to go. Paul wants them to be filled with knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge comes by listening and by study and by reading and meditation, and wisdom comes by prayer and application, purposeful application. So what I've found a lot, and probably you've noticed this too, if you've observed what goes on among Christians very long, you realize that most of the time in congregations, like Eastside, where you've got a lot of dedicated Bible students and people involved in the Bible class program and families that are studying and reading their Bibles at home and people who just love to know what God's book said, the prob- says the problem is not typically knowledge. It's the next thing that's the problem. And that is Wisdom the ability and willingness to apply the knowledge. It's one thing to know something. It's another thing to actually do something with it. And every one of of us in this room needs to understand that we're we're coming here, sure enough, to, to learn things from God's Word and gain knowledge of the Holy One and His will. But the application of those things in our lives must be something that we individually do. I want to tell you, as I've said before from this pulpit, I cannot make application for you. You have to make it for yourself. I might tell you what an application is, but that's still not making it. You have to make the application. You have to apply the wisdom. You have to put it into practice in your life. If it stops at the level of knowledge, you've got nothing. You've stopped at hearing, but you're not doing. You're the man who looks in the mirror and goes away and forgets what manner of man he was. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And it does us no good unless we apply it. The man who can read, but doesn't, has no advantage at all over the man who can't read. The man who can do and knows to do but doesn't has no advantage at all over the man who doesn't know. Paul is praying for their knowledge and their wisdom. And then he prays, you notice, that they'll walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of the Lord, he says. Well, that's challenging. If I ask for a show of hands, 
How many of you are walking worthy of the Lord? Wow, that's a challenging question, isn't it? So when we admit that we're not fully walking worthy of the Lord, who could do that, right? Who could walk worthy of the Lord? How could we possibly do that? May I say something to you that um, on your own, you cannot. That's kind of the point of this. You're not going to be walking worthy of the Lord. But I suspect that in reality there are a number of people who are walking worthy of the Lord. We won't know how that happens until we get to the end of the lesson, so stay tuned. But he prays that they'll be walking worthy of the Lord. Who can do that? Well, none of us in our own strength. But God enables us because of his grace. Walking worthy of the Lord involves fully pleasing God. These are the things Paul says. Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work. Are you strong enough to do that? Being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. He's already prayed that they would have the knowledge of God and then increasing in it. Are you going to, um, to need more strength to do these three things? I believe I am. I don't believe I'm going to be able to do that all on my own. Especially during, during times of, of trial or when I'm weary or when multiple bad things are happening in my life. When my mind is not working the way I'd like it to work. Which, again, as you get older, that happens quite a bit. You needed strength. Physical strength. Emotional strength. Mental strength to do the things that are worthy of God. And so Paul prays that they would be strengthened with all might. Please notice this. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Glorious power. The thing is, when we try to do things on our own, with our own power and our own strength and leave God out of the picture and think, well, I'm just going to grit my teeth and do this because I'm capable of that and I'm going to discipline myself. And I, I, just said, I said earlier, as a young man, that's kind of what I thought I was going to do. Everybody's different. I think maybe sometimes I, I, think, I think I'm a weirdo, okay, because, because of my upbringing uh, by a, a, a very strict and... Uh, father who had high expectations and expected excellence in everything that I did, I um, had this idea that I was capable of delivering excellence in everything that I did. And um, so, you know, I became a disappointment to myself in my service to God. What, what Paul is saying to us here is that it is God's glorious power that enables this, not your own power. Notice that. It's through God's glorious power. There are, there are multiple words in this phrase that get to the concepts of strength and power. He says, strengthened, notice that, with all might, according to his glorious power. Three words that are talking about strength. You're strengthened with might, 
but it's according to his power. It's not from you, it's from him. And so here are two things I want to share with you, applications of this concept. One is this, the level of your strength will never exceed the source of your strength. The level of your strength will never exceed the source of your strength. And if the source of your strength is you, that's as high as you're going to go. But if the source of your strength is God, your height is limitless. Secondly, to trust in yourself as the source of your strength guarantees your weakness. It it will guarantee that you won't be strong enough to do it. Paul is not saying to the Colossians that um, you're going to be able to do this on your own. He's saying God's going to strengthen you with his power. Paul knew how to rely on God's strength. And lest anybody fear that I'm getting way off into some mystical, magical way of getting strength from God, let me assure you that these things we're talking about tonight are some of the most basic, fundamental truths in Scripture that I know you agree with, but you have to think about them. But Paul had realized this some long time ago. If we look down, we see a great example of this just in this chapter. As he's talking about preaching Christ, he says in verse 28, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working which works in me mightily. If you see the end of that verse, you see that what Paul is talking about is what he is doing is being empowered by God. He's he's preaching to every man. He's warning every man. He's teaching every man in all wisdom that every man may be perfect in Christ. Paul, how can you possibly have this as a goal or or an aspiration or an expectation of your work? He says, well, here's how. Because... Because of what God is doing. But please also notice that Paul is not leaving his own effort out of the equation. If you were going to say, you know, you're going to say, okay, preacher, you need to stop preaching because you're preaching Calvinism. You're saying God's going to do it all and you don't have to do anything. Uh Uh-uh. I hadn't said that. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is this. You better do every last thing you can do with every ounce of the power that you have, knowing the whole time that you won't do it without God's help. Did you see what Paul said? To this end, I labor. I labor. Striving. He's striving. The word there is from this agonizing. (laughs) He is giving it everything he's got. His last ounce of Paul is going into what he's doing. Every last bit of him. But he knows that's not enough. Not to do what God has called them to do. He says, striving, laboring, according to his working, which works in me mightily. What a testimony to the power of God. So nobody's getting off the hook. We can't be lazy. We can't quit. We can't give our best. We can't can't stop giving our best. We must 
we must always strive and labor, but rely on God's strength. And Paul understood this no matter what his circumstances were. If you go back a page or two in your Bible, you'll come to Philippians chapter 4. And well-known passage where Paul is talking about the Philippians supporting him as he preached the gospel. He says, it's not that I speak in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's Paul talking about there? You know, I've seen this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on t-shirts and uh, as slogans for sports teams and as slogans for businesses, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and uh, there, there may be some kind of application for that in the world at large, but uh, I think most of the time when most people quote that passage, they have no idea of its context and no idea what Paul is talking about. And what he was talking about was it didn't matter to him if he had nothing materially, monetarily, physically, or if he had everything. It didn't matter. Because he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. His joy did not depend on his circumstances. It's really the message of Philippians. Paul's in prison. He's on trial for his life. He's suffering from even brethren who are trying to stir up trouble for him. Sometimes he gets support to preach the gospel. Sometimes he gets nothing. I can do all things. I can endure all things. I can be long-suffering, no matter how hard it gets. Not in my strength, but through Christ who strengthens me. That's what he's saying. No matter what it enduring, it was the strength of Christ that enabled Paul to do it. And again, another well-known passage regarding this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 7, Paul relays this. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I, I don't know what God allowed to happen here to Paul, but some sort of physical pain, I assume, some uh, pain in the flesh, malady of some sort that Satan sent, Concerning this thing, three times I, I pleaded with the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I most gladly rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities. And the word infirmities, by the way, literally means weaknesses. I, I, I'm glad when I recognize my weaknesses. I take pleasure in my weaknesses, in my cannot do it by myselfness. I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What a, what a statement. 
What a realization. It's the one that we need. We need God's strength. In need of strength. Ultimately, our strength is grounded in acknowledging its source. That's a fancy phrase, okay? With uh, a couple of words with too many syllables, probably. What I'm saying here, our strength comes very simply from trusting God. There, there's, no, there, there's no magic formula. There's no complex, complex explanation of it. All that Paul is saying, the simplest, most profound, easiest, most basic concept of relationship with God is to trust him. And if you will trust him, really trust him, he will strengthen you. As Paul goes on in his prayer in Colossians chapter 1, going back there, it, it, it has a delightful, if I may use that term, to me, it's delightful. <laughs> it, it has a delightful ending to it. Uh, an ending of hope. Where Paul says then, after he's talked about praying for strength, for all patience and all long-suffering and with joy, just like he had it, Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Getting back to walking worthy of the Lord. You, you worthy? You walking worthy? Maybe I could ask it a different way. Are you qualified to go to heaven? You qualified to go to heaven? I am. Oh, not on my own. <laughs> he has qualified me. He has qualified me. He has made my life worthy. He has made my walk worthy as I have followed him. And it's not Steve. It's trusting God. Trusting God. That's what faith is all about. He has qualified us to be partakers of the saints, with the saints in light. He has delivered us from Satan's power. You think I could stand against Satan by myself? You think I could be, deliver myself from Satan's power? No, but God has done that by his strength. And he's done it because I trusted him, obeyed the gospel. He has redeemed us and forgiven us. Am I perfect and am I sinless? No, but God has made me sinless by forgiving all of my trespasses. It's in his strength I stand, in his might, in his glorious power. Strength then is truly a matter of trusting God. When you go back to the Psalms, the psalmist repeatedly, 
repeatedly talks about the strength of God and finding strength in God. In Psalm 18 and verse 2, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, that's what we're saying. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. In Psalm 28 and verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield, my heart trusted in him, and I am helped. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. Psalm 28 and verse 7. Therefore my heart rejoices, greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. This evening as we think about our relationship with God, our own lack of strength so often in our spiritual lives, let's stand in humility before him and confess our weaknesses and acknowledge our need for help. And tell him that we trust, our, we, we trust his promises. We trust his power, his strength. And we're going to do with all that we have. We're going to do what he's asked us to do. And trust him to help us do it. If tonight you see your own helplessness in this world, and we're willing to name the name of Jesus. He'll be so happy to help you to heaven. You can't get there by yourself. Not one of us can. But Jesus has the power. So we'd ask you to name his name and turn away from sin and be baptized in water. And if you're a Christian who's been struggling and struggling with weakness after weakness after weakness, trust God. Just trust him. We'd ask you to come while we stand and sing.